0: We are community. Greetings and welcome to our Black for a podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and today I am joined by Palmyra Kokari-Menga. Palmyra is a Swedish journalist, actress, and script editor for Nexico, which is, quote, Scandinavia's biggest and most award-winning independent production company, In quote. Previously, Palmyra was with Sereos Radio as a correspondent tasked with portraying young people's issues around the world. I really enjoyed our initial conversation. I think it was a week or so ago. And so I very much look forward to today's conversation and learning more about Palmyra and her professional journey in Sweden. So hey, Palmyra, and welcome. How are you?
1: I'm well, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm pretty good. I'm back in Los Angeles, back in the United States. I've been in LA. Today is one week that I've been back (laughs) after being gone from the US in general for almost a year and a half. Part of my time being able to return to Sweden a couple of times and also the UK and then South Africa. So, anyway, enough about me. How
1: are you? <laughs> I have a lot of emotions today, uh, which is a bit unusual for me, but it's, I think it's, you know, we're settling into fall. I really enjoy fall, the season, you know, it's Libra season, so it's my season. And I also like enjoy spooky season. <laughs> But I feel also fall is very brief in Sweden, so it's hard for it not to get tainted with. Then we have four months of winter and ongoing darkness, which is not really my season. But I am enjoying it. It's pretty foggy today, but we do have a pretty warm fall, which is nice. But then, you know, there's also a lot of things happening in society and politically and and that's also like weighing on my mind so yeah i'm well but it's it's a lot of different emotions today
0: and are you based in stockholm i am yes is that your home city is that where you were born and raised
1: it was i was born and raised in uh, in the south side of stockholm i've traveled a lot but i've lived here my whole life
0: we are recording on a thursday which is somewhat towards the end of the week as you already shared there's a lot of going on, I think, in Sweden right now.
1: There's a lot of shootings happening, which is very troubling and very sad. A lot of young people dying. In terms of that, it's been a heavy week because it's it's been happening a lot lately. Thinking about that and also uh, how this is affecting our coming generations. For my generation, we didn't grow up with this. So I do feel like there's a generation where a lot of young people are traumatized which is terrible
0: same thing my generation did not experience what it seems to be at least in this country so common these days which is just horrifying it's good that you're bringing it to the forefront as far as talking about it more publicly because yeah we do need to think about the safety of us in general but of course the safety of the future generation yeah
1: There's a lot of people doing a very good job in both reaching out to these kids and talking about it and, and, you know, trying to organize things around this, so I'm very grateful for that as well.
0: If it's okay to ask, how do you identify uh, under our LGBTQ plus umbrella?
1: I identify as lesbian and also as queer.
0: You know, the queer, I'm starting to use that more. I don't know if it's more European than American. Maybe ask what that means for you using the term queer.
1: Yeah, I think for me, it means that I consciously try to diverge or or step out of this is heteronorm in more ways than just by who I fall in love with. It's also, you know, questioning of the institution of marriage. It means like other stuff. And for me, like being a lesbian, it means that I fall in love with women and date women. But being queer for me, I think it's a broader term that kind of also allows me to state somewhat how I identify politically.
0: Well, we keep getting more letters and I hope I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but queer seems like okay, queer. (laughs) (laughs) So, Yeah. I love your head wrap and then your necklace. Can you share with us about that?
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you. I do have a necklace that is the continent of Africa. I really like it and I like wearing it. And I do sometimes wear it consciously if I'm, for example, doing some type of public talk or, you know, a meeting at work or or something to remind people of like, that's my origin. I'm also visibly Black, even though I'm i a light-skinned Black person, I'm biracial. I'm mixed with white, but uh, I mean, sometimes I do think people tend to forget that anyway. Maybe at work, and then after a while, they kind of get used to you. And it kind of feels like, yeah, but you know, I'm not like you, don't forget, you know?
0: <laughs> so I mentioned in the intro that you're a script editor for Mexico. Can you share with us that position, your role? Yeah,
1: so if you're... A script editor and you're in a project, which I have been for the past few months. I've been a script editor on the third season of a TV show called Young Royals. And so then my role <laughs> has been to kind of have an overview of the script sometimes. Maybe the head writer, uh, her name is Lisa Ambion. Maybe she was like, "Oh, like, so can you keep track of like this character's arch? Is it consistent?" Or you know, maybe sometimes it's the little things of, "Okay, so uh, in that episode, we said that this is happening on a Thursday, and then no, now we're saying it's a Wednesday. So like, which is it?" Or you you know, fact check stuff like that. And also, like, I've been part of the writers' room, kind of brainstorming ideas for the season. And then I've also done a lot of research with my journalist background that comes in handy. So it could be like maybe just researching so they're in school, what kind of lessons would they have? And what books would they be reading? Or I researched like a lot of things about the Swedish monarchy and like how things work there. So yeah, it's been great fun.
0: Sounds like a great position and I'm gonna fan out a little. I've seen both seasons, but literally coming back from South Africa to the US, I started to rewatch it again because it helps me with my Swedish. And really to hear that you're on that show, I was just like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I was a fan as well. I was not involved in the first and the second season. So for me, it was just a great like, joy and privilege to be able to join for the third season because I did initially just enjoy watching the show and I really liked it for many reasons. So it's been really great. Yeah, a lot of people have been telling me like, oh, my God, I'm going to be so much popular with my kids now that I can say that, like my friend or my colleague or, you know, are like working with young royals. Like I was like, "Okay, yeah, sure. It's a great show. And being a script editor, I feel it's my first job in scripted television and everyone has been really nice. And it's also you're doing a lot of like making sure everybody get the right script on the right time. So maybe you talk to art department and they would be like okay so for this episode we need to know this and this and this and this and then maybe like the costume department will be like okay so we need to know what are they going to be wearing for that episode do you know that and then you know I go back and forth so it's been great fun to also kind of just see how that works how shooting a tv show work and how like the process of writing all the scripts work because they have like several writers for different episodes so just seeing like that whole process has
0: been great i've heard that title and had a vague idea but it is so much more involved than i realized
1: yeah i mean i've only done this once so maybe like if you're in a different project it will look different i have no idea it's been a great learning experience
0: to kind of backtrack Mentioning your, your necklace and the continent, but how are you connected culturally to Africa? What country?
1: My dad is Gambian.
0: Have you had opportunities to visit the country?
1: Yeah, I have, both privately and while working. I was there as a journalist as well.
0: There's, what, 52 countries on the continent, and just for find out how diverse and beautiful it is.
1: Yeah, definitely. That was one of my greatest experiences as well. When I was traveling as a journalist, I went to a few African countries and then I was also the Africa correspondent for the Swedish radio for a summer when the original correspondent was on vacation. And I think it really is so great to be able to travel to different countries and discover different cultures. I do feel like especially in the West, a lot of people just see Africa as this big, you know, monolith when it's actually the opposite. It's so, so, so diverse, even within like the same country, there will be a lot of different cultures and languages and stuff like that. So
0: we've kind of touched on that a little bit, but what is your educational background?
1: I have a bachelor's degree in media and communications. That was me studying to become a journalist and I kind of went into the journalism field after that started with an internship at the Swedish radio, and then I just stayed there for eight years. And then I've also taken like a lot of small courses uh, here and there studying language and and stuff like that. And I do also have like a parallel interest in drama, especially theater. So I've kind of studied that on the side while studying uh, journalism and working. On the one hand, it sounds kind of, okay, you're doing a lot of different things, but for me also just storytelling. So I do feel like there are similarities. I was in journalism, but I mainly did radio and audio like podcasts. So then you also work with your voice. For me, it's not super different, even though journalism, you're working with facts and theater, you're often working with fiction. But for me, it's just, you know, a tool to try to tell stories and say something about us as humans and as a society and as a world.
0: And you were with Swedish Radio, you said, for eight years.
1: So I mainly worked for a channel called P3, which at least at the time was directed towards like a younger audience. And their news program was where I worked most of my years. And I started as a reporter And I've also been a producer and a host or like, uh, you know, when you read the news broadcasts. And so I did that for a couple of years and then I was a correspondent for three years and I was covering global youth. So I was working towards the same channel still a lot. I came back and I stayed at the same news program, but as a producer mainly and Did like a few documentaries as well. And then I was a social media reporter for a short while before I switched to a different job in a different company.
0: For my reference point, that sounds like a lot, but it's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it is a very big company. I mean, it is the equivalent of like the BBC or the NPR. So the reason I was there for a long time was there was a lot of different things that you could do within the same company. I did also mainly work with. News the whole time.
0: Prior to you joining the organization, were there people of color either behind the scenes or on camera in Twitter?
1: Oh yes, I mean the media industry is very white, but there's definitely been other people of color. Some of them are like the generation of journalists before my own. So, like where I worked, talk about diversity and and how to. Increase diversity or whatever diversity even means you know trying to have those conversations on how to diversify both the staff but also the reporting and how we report on certain issues and who we choose to speak to what angles we choose and what stories we're telling and what stories we're missing and, and you know things like that i was always very aware of we are having these conversations you know, standing on the shoulders of the people who are having these conversations before us. It's been talked to for the past decades, and it must have been even harder back then, (laughs) because these issues are kind of, at least now, the problems are known uh, and the issues are known, even though we still kind of struggle on sometimes what to do to change them. When I was working at the Swedish radio, I was definitely also not the only person of color. There were quite a few of us, but it is also a big company. So we were kind of spread around. You could still be the only one at your department or the only one in your newsroom and and stuff like that. And especially as a Black person and Black woman, we were very few. One of the main issues that I had and that I still have, I think, with the whole industry is also that. The higher up in the hierarchy you look, when you start looking at management positions and uh, even producers or, or, you know, bosses almost instantly becomes almost totally white. So it's also the issue of people of color having difficulty, I think, advancing. When you look at the way things were, at least when I was there, I'm not going to claim to know what it is now. There's no denying that it is a structure. Because, for example, when I was a producer, I was the only producer of color at the channel I was working for. And it looked almost the same wherever you looked. And I think that also makes it harder for the journalists of color working there to make an impact. And it also, I do think, makes their working environment more difficult.
0: Have there been conversations around ways that that can be... Diversify it as far as having more people of color as you move up the chain.
1: There was conversations happening, but I did find it hard sometimes because I do think a lot of people think that the topic is sensitive. It could also be like, yeah, but we have this leadership program within the company or something like to try to find the, the future bosses of the company, for example. And then you would look there and you'd be like, hmm, okay. But what happens to these people afterwards? Sure. These are great people, but it was also like almost an entirely white group. Sometimes it would be like, yeah, this is a diverse group because this people comes from a small town and that person has, you know, maybe a Finnish background, which is really valid. It is valid to have people from different backgrounds. And, you know, I'm Finnish myself. I do know that Finns have been very discriminated in this country, but that doesn't change the fact that it's still a white person that can pass as a Swedish person, perhaps. There are layers, but I did find it sometimes difficult to talk about the layers because it, diversity became a word and then you just threw everybody in the mix. It's not very dynamic and it's not very a, a very deep way to talk about it, I think.
0: It brings up conversations I've had, the desire to talk about it, but it is also consciously and unconsciously this need to make sure that I'm okay emotionally and psychologically if I'm going to have these conversations because that's just as important. And I like, especially these last few years, we are talking about the fact that these more sensitive topics, for those of us who are affected by them, it is also an emotional and psychological thing we're dealing with too.
1: Yes, definitely. I definitely felt that in 2020 where I was like, this is really important. We do really need to report about this and talk about this and also, you know, talk about how these issues look like within our own company. But I definitely also sensed that it is different when it's not just some theory or some some structure that doesn't affect you that you're talking about. You're You're literally talking about your own life and if not your own life the lives of maybe your family or your friends or generally people who look like you and that is different I
0: do feel yeah very much so <laughs> even talking about it myself is just like <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah I mean I can imagine and, and I mean you having this podcast
0: yeah yeah but it is beautiful I could connect with individuals like you who are leading the way because of what you're doing, how you've entered the space in a professional way, but how you're finding ways to, to encourage conversation.
1: I'm very thankful and honored just to be able to have this conversation with you as well. You're doing great work.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs>
1: thank hey, you. love um, bombing.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I listened to your uh, Swedish radio interview with the Kenyan activists, where it was brought up about the realities and challenges of of being part of the LGBT community in Kenya. And I wanted to ask you, as a woman of color, is there an advantage for you being able to speak and also being a part of the community, being able to speak to these individuals?
1: Yes, definitely. I would say being black and being queer has opened a lot of doors for me professionally when it comes to interviewing and connecting with people. But that does not mean that I'm like them. I'm still light-skinned. I'm still European. Like I have a Swedish passport. I'm still very privileged. Like when you're interviewing people, you have to build trust, sometimes very quickly. You reach out to someone and then you book an interview and then that person is going to talk about very sensitive things with you. They're going to, you know, talk to you about their lives. And I do feel like that bridge is sometimes shorter to cross when you can sort of connect on the fact that I do understand your situation, at least on another level, because I'm also queer and I grew up in Sweden, but I do have a background in another african country where being queer is also a struggle and you know stuff like that i mean for me as a journalist who you are always affects your work when you step into a room and you're going to talk to someone you're you're not translucent <laughs> like you're not a blank canvas or you know you're not a ghost you're not neutral your reporting is supposed to be neutral but no matter how you look at it, you bring something. And for me, I'm trying to use what I bring uh, as an advantage, but I do feel like sometimes white journalists may not be as aware of it. Many of them are, but many of them are also like, no, I'm this neutral person. (laughs) And it's like, as a white person in an African country, you're definitely not, (laughs) you know? In Kenya, they would ask me like, okay, so where you're from? Okay, Gambia. Yes. And These activists like knew about the situation over there and especially Gambia and Kenya, both being former British colonies, because the law in Kenya that forbids homosexuality and makes it illegal is an old colonial law. And even just, you know, (laughs) being part of the LGBTQ community as well, it's kind of like no matter where you go, there's this sense of your family. So that definitely helped. Okay, we're, we're kind of at least on the same grounds here,
0: you know. I like the way you put it, building the bridge, yeah, and the importance of that when you're speaking with someone.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes when I've spoken of these issues, the pushback is, but a good journalist is supposed to be able to report on anything. You don't have to be queer to report on queer issues, and you don't have to be. Of course, that's true, but building that trust, I think, is sometimes easier If you have an understanding, if that that person is like, okay, but this person genuinely understands me because they are in a similar situation or they, you know, are aware of these things that I'm going through, you usually say the same thing when it comes to maybe issues like domestic violence and rape. And, you know, maybe you're like, yeah, a female reporter might be able to connect. And usually there's no questioning that when you talk about that in in a journalistic setting, it's like, yeah. It'll probably be more comfortable for everyone. And the same goes for, for other issues as well, I, I think.
0: One of the first pieces that I, I discovered of yours is where you opened up about your experiences as being lesbian, navigating your authenticity and a professional capacity and sharing about an experience with a colleague. How was it for you sharing about that on a public platform?
1: I think I was a little bit overwhelmed by, I mean, just the love I received sharing that and also by how many people said that they, yeah, they had gone through something similar because the story was about a colleague I was working with. It was a short period of time and it was like, I haven't named that person or anything. They were trying to hit on me and I was trying to like politely, (laughs) um, be like, no, this is not what we're doing. I'm not interested. And then, you know, the person was persistent. So in the end I was like, no, I like women. And I really tried not to bring that up because that could be a safety issue. You know, the point I was trying to make as well was that as a radio journalist, you often travel alone because you don't need like camera or anything, it's just you. And so I often got asked, like, but how does that work? Do you ever feel unsafe? Da, da, da. And I very rarely do. But the most unsafe or uncomfortable I felt usually is in the company of men that I've worked with or men that I've had some other type of professional relationship, maybe a teacher. Because that's kind of the relationship that has been more awkward than just a random person in the street somewhere in a, in a different City, Because then usually people are very helpful, you know, they're kind of like, oh, why are you alone? Can I help you? So for me, I think it was that that was something that I needed to say.
0: As a gay man, we talk about the umbrella of LGBTQ+, but it reminded me that I'm attracted to the same gender, but I'm not experiencing the world in the same way. And so to the best of my ability, I still need to make sure that I'm educating myself as much as possible.
1: What that person said when, when I said that I was a lesbian was, uh, oh, yeah, but I find that really attractive. This sort of idea of you just haven't met the right guy yet and dah, 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 dah. and that is like super dangerous. And it's, it also made me really aware of the fact that all over the world, but especially in certain places like that, that type of Uh, quote-unquote corrective rape is a really big problem you know I am gay but I'm also very straight passing so for me it was also a reminder of like yeah I I also walk through this world very privileged because most people cannot like they don't think that I'm queer unless I say so yeah and for some people this is a daily daily constant fear
0: yeah but again The importance of, you know, you sharing that part of your life journey, I think is just really great. And like you said, it opened up the dialogue for other people to share their experiences. How do you decide in a professional capacity what to share or when it may be needed to share some of who you are on a personal basis?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. I don't really know. I haven't thought about what that process looks like. Because I am a very private person. You might not think that for me sitting here right now. But I am. So I really choose when to share. Like in interview situations where I'm talking to someone or interviewing someone about like maybe intimate parts of their life and, and stuff like that. Then I usually share If I think it'll make them feel more comfortable, like without making it about me, I can just, you know, say something or ask a question in a way that make them realize that I could maybe I'm like, in my experience, how is it for you? So they kind of understand. I think it informs the reporting, I guess is what I'm trying to say. For example, a lot of people maybe knew that I was queer before I share that story that we just talked about. I'd hosted talk shows during Stockholm Pride and stuff like that. But I don't think I had ever said publicly in that way. Maybe I had, but, you know, I think for some people, it was still pretty obscure, maybe. So I do think I share things when I do feel like it'll make a difference. But I do still make a point of trying to keep my private life. Private, that's just my personality. I don't think it's anything wrong with being very open. I do admire people who are very open about themselves. It's just, um, not how I usually am. For example, I shared that experience because I thought like, okay, but now I do have the chance to say something important, I think, and I cannot do it without putting myself in the story. But as a journalist, my instinct is to keep myself out of the story and let other people speak. So, yeah.
0: You've shared about that you've traveled for work. Do you prefer, at least as far as being a journalist, do you prefer when it it includes travel or you prefer to be in the studio?
1: It's so hard to say. I do think I enjoy mixing them both up. I definitely like being out in the field, you know, talking to people, being in the middle of the thing that's happening, whether it's an event like an election or something, or whether it's just, uh, you know, in, in everyday life, either here in Stockholm or a different city. I definitely do enjoy that a lot. I mean, yeah, being in the studio, like a hosting, I do enjoy. But what I do think I enjoy even a little bit more is probably producing. You know, you have more control over the whole, the content, at least as a news producer for news broadcasts. You do have a say in what we broadcast and who we talk to and what angles. we You kind of lead the work and delegate the work. So you kind of get to be like, you decide what to do and who to talk to. And then you get to just... I guess have a little bit more influence. And I do also enjoy um, being kind of like a team leader. But every time I've been a producer after a while, I kind of get that itch to get out in the field again. I do also know that it is important that like people who maybe have a different view on things and different knowledge and a network outside of uh the majority society or the mainstream society it is also important that these people do get to be editors and producers if we're gonna see a change in like the media industry then these people have to also start getting into like team leading and management positions a producer and an editor within journalism is not the same as uh, within tv so being a script editor least for me i have kind of been like the right hand to like the head writer so that means that like i kind of did what that person needed me to do and kind of kept an overview and, and it was a great thing because she was really open to my ideas but in journalism being a producer or editor means that you actually do have power to make decisions uh
0: okay
1: When I talk about journalism and me liking being a producer there or in radio, it's producer. If you work at at a newspaper, it's called editor. It's essentially the same thing, which is that you have the final say on what gets broadcast or what gets printed. So for me, having people of color and queer people or whatever it is, people from minority backgrounds in those positions is important because you have more influence like if you're a reporter you can pitch an idea but the producer can always say no or you can have a story and they could be like hmm but that doesn't make sense why don't you take that out or why don't you talk to this person instead uh, as a reporter you can find yourself constantly having to explain yourself that's why I do also both enjoy it and 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 think it's important
0: Thank you for that. Thank you for clarifying.
1: (laughs) It's very confusing, like these titles just going around meaning different things.
0: I hear and I feel your passion for writing, for journalism, for telling stories. But when did you discover your gift for writing?
1: Yeah, it's interesting getting that question because I don't think I've ever looked at it as a gift. (laughs) I've looked at it as something i enjoy doing and something that i kind of knew that i was good at i think it was always in the back of my mind that i was maybe gonna be a journalist from um, maybe sometime sometime in my teens and that was not only because of writing it was also because i always liked to like follow along in society and and what was going on and and follow along in the news and things like that i do really enjoy storytelling, I guess, and also trying to understand things and how things work and why. And I just never thought about it until you asked me. But I did write stories when I was a kid. And for a while, I wanted to become a writer, you know, to write novels. I was kind of like, but how do you do that? (laughs) You know, I think I also turned to journalism because I could see like, okay, so you go to university for it and then you apply for a job. Whereas writing novels I was kinda like, but how, you know? I do think playwriting is a bit more my thing. Comes easier to me.
0: That's a good segue because in this past June of twenty twenty three I saw that you you took part in the premiere of the Cherry Tortured by the American playwright Aaron Posner, which is his adaptation of Chekhov's The Cherry orchard it was like a stage reading if I understood correctly yes it was what was that experience like for you
1: it was great I really enjoyed it I mean I do really enjoy acting so whenever I get a chance to do it it just gives me so much joy I've tried to think like what is it that just makes me really feel alive doing it and really love it It is a chance for me to get out of my head. I spend a lot of time in my head, either at work, when you're doing journalism or you're writing or you're kind of just in your head and trying to get what's in your head out. But when you're acting, all you got to do is be present. And you do really need to be present for it to work. If you're in your head, then it doesn't work and you get to work with your body and your emotions and, you know, really feel things. And uh, I just think that's great. So it was a great experience. And it was also great because this adaption, long story short, like the original is about a family in uh, Russia at the turn of the century and they're about to lose their estate. The role I was playing is one of the sisters and she's adopted. And in this new adaption, she's also Black. The story was moved from the early 1900s to today or present day. So it was also kind of like, okay, so what does this mean like for this character and for this family?
0: Hmm. Do you prefer stage or being on camera as far as acting?
1: I do have a weakness for the stage. What I love about it is that it's so direct. It happens here and now there are no retakes, there are no redos. And also, I do love that connection with the audience. You hear immediately if something works or not, if a joke lands. And sometimes when that thing happens where you can just feel that the focus in the room is really there, you can just feel that, like, we're really creating this together. There's something magical about it. But, I mean, it is hard, of course, to compete with the reach of TV and, and movies, what you do on stage, it's, it lives there and then, and then it's gone. But it is also kind of like a bit of the charm that it is here and now, and, and every performance is different.
0: Yeah, when I was just in New York, my cousin and I, we have a tradition of going to see theater and we saw a performance now with our smartphones and going to concerts everyone pulls out their phone, but one of the things I like about live theater is you don't pull out your phone to record this and share with your, whoever your friends are on social media and you just live there. Like, I like the way you put that in.
1: Yeah, definitely. The audience get to be here and now just as much as the actors.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a different energy, and I do love it. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I do think the pandemic really reminded a lot of people of the power of live art I mean because the thing I do really like about even going to the movies as well or going to the theater or what it is is that you can experience art with someone even if you go there alone
0: well to wind down I just have a couple more questions if it's okay but do you have any current or upcoming projects as far as your performance career
1: one thing that is up and coming is I'm currently co writing a play for now called Voice. Perhaps it's going to be called that as well when it premieres. I'm writing it together with actress and artist and writer Aurelia Day. Her idea, her vision, she's like the head writer, the initiator. And we're writing together, and it's about basically the experience of being a Black woman in Sweden. It's about three friends, and it brings up colorism and and all of these things that uh, these friends maybe haven't talked about before, because sometimes it's like, we're black, we have to stick together. And then you have still differences within the group that maybe sometimes needs to be addressed. We're writing that and it's going to premiere um, at Theater in Göteborg, the fall of 2024. So next year.
0: Hopefully I'll be back there to see it.
1: (laughs) Yay! Let's
0: hope so. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, it just always reminds me that anything that we see art is, is coming from a personal place on some level. And just hearing you share this particular piece that, that's in process, yeah, just it reinforces that for me. And also, I, I feel like this is, especially at the end of our conversation, is a generic question. But when did you become aware? Because I don't usually ask this as much these days of, you know, being lesbian.
1: I do think when I actually fully realized it and, and, you know, came out to myself and my friends and so on was probably in my early twenties. I was maybe 21, 22, I think. And then I had probably known it subconsciously for a while, but kind of been like, nah, especially also like growing up, I kind of I think subconsciously saw being queer as a white thing because there was like no representation back then of course i knew you could be but you can't be what you can't see
0: the process of because i've had people straight people asking like when did you accept it and it's like yeah, i think it's a lifelong process
1: yeah yeah and i think for me it wasn't really that dramatic i think because I was also kind of I guess what you call a late bloomer like I didn't date before I came out so for me it was kind of just like I was uninterested in guys and then I was like oh this is why <laughs> you know and I mean I think it's also <clears throat> like there's a lot of other stuff probably that plays into why I didn't I guess when I realized it I Kind of accepted it pretty quickly I was like okay so this is the deal like I have another another box (laughs) that I now check I also thought it was kind of exciting in a way and now I'm like yes I would not change who I am for the world I'm so happy to be black and queer like come on it's amazing it's a struggle of course but it's great you know we're awesome (laughs)
0: It's like metaphorically, I don't know if that's the right way to say speaking, having an extra, extra color of the rainbow.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I'm really, really grateful for the community that we have. I think it's one of the reasons also that I'm now feeling the way I do that. I'm now like, yeah, it's amazing. We're amazing. It's also because I found a community of other black queer people and other queer people of color as well. So I'm really grateful also for, like, the last few years. Finding a community has become easier as well, you know, with internet and social media and all of that. You know, if I grew up today, maybe it wouldn't take me 22 years <laughs> to realize.
0: I was a late bloomer too, but I still need to see it. I still need to hear it. I still need to feel the energy from other people that share their stories.
1: It's a lifelong process, and it's an I don't know, ongoing living
0: i always ask everyone at the end of this, this journey this conversation do you have any final thoughts or insights
1: no just thank you for the opportunity to to talk about these things i um feel it's it's been a great conversation and it's also you know great to kind of revisit these things yeah i really enjoyed it so thank you
0: Oh, you're welcome. And thank you. Yeah, I mentioned before the recording, I was nervous seeing you on social media. And then just really discovering through us connecting your work as a journalist, as a writer, and the country that I've been able to visit and make connections with and have friends. So to find out that there's, you know, black queer people in Sweden who are making it happen and living their best lives. It's just really great to, to be able to chat with you today.
1: No need to be nervous. This has been amazing.
0: Oh, good, good. Where can we uh, engage with you online?
1: Best way is probably Instagram. You can find me at Palmyra K Manga. That's, I think, where I'm most active. Please slide into my DMs if you want to connect. That'd be amazing. And you can also find me on Facebook if anyone is still on there. Uh, Palmyra Co in Manga.
0: Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends too. You can also follow us on Instagram at our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at blkgaydiaspora. Until next time.